guys. Welcome to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I am your host, Ed Moore, and this is episode 63. Should you feel feedbackily inclined, feel free to send it to the Dr. Fate fan podcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the website at bigtimenoise.com slash drfate, which I do have one to throw out by the end of the episode. Lords of Order has Facebook and Google Plus pages. Very much want to thank everyone that has been liking and sharing posts on those pages. And Teal, T-E-A-L, Productions on Twitter. Also want to thank everyone there that has hearted, which I guess is liked, I don't know what the word for that is, and retweeted the episodes when they're posted there. Now, this is a spoiler podcast. Uh, Definitely bear that in mind for this and next episode and maybe the third episode out. Um, Tonight, today, this morning, the current volume of Dr. Fate issue 8. What I'm attempting to do is catch up. Uh, The little rumor bird is telling me that this book is going to be canceled. And if so, I don't want to have two or three or four episodes hanging out there to talk about because it will be a little bit more disappointing to talk about them knowing that that's the end. So I want to try to get these as they're coming out now. I believe that Dr. Fate is going to come back as part of the new, 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 DC, new, or whatever they're doing. Um, it's also been hinted at that there is going to be a Justice Society of America book which is also potentially a home for Dr. Fate. So, neither of those has anything to do with this episode. Issue 8. Dated March 2016, written by Paul Levitz. The artist is Ibrahim Mustafa, a guest artist for this issue. Colors by Lee Lofridge and letters by Seda Temofante. I hope those are correct. If not, I apologize Please don't hold my poor pronunciation against me. On the cover, we have a um, an image of the stereotypical Egyptian drawings. And I, I say stereotypical, but th- there is a lot of fact based on the fact that they're typically found this way. Typically. Well, I'm using typically a lot today. Um, two-dimensional figures with the head. You, the, the full frontal is there. But the figure's head is turned either to the right or left. That that just to me that that is an eponymous Egyptian style drawing. Here uh, they're facing stage right. We have three figures. Doctor Fate is sandwiched in between Horus and Thoth, standing in Khalid's modern outfit, whereas. The two Egyptian gods are dressed as such standard Egyptian god attire. The helmet, the circles, the chest breastplate that he has, although the breast, the, the emblem on the chest is on a blue hoodie. But interesting to me is that Dr. Fate, um, although I guess it would be slash Khalid in this case, is holding a smartphone, I assume. It appears to be a smartphone. I'm not sure how the ancient aliens would have had access to smartphones. The only way I can come up with is how would ancient alien, uh, ancient uh, Egyptians have smartphones? The aliens brought them. Ancient aliens brought them. That's that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, I guess that's how it wound up in this picture. 
you know. But over the smartphone is an image of a small bird. Now, two things come to mind. Being that I'm a big fan of Twitter, this could be representing Twitter. But it could also be representing a concept that we ran into uh, an issue or two ago. That of the multifaceted Egyptian concept of the soul. One aspect of which is called, pronounced, bah. The personality of the soul, that which makes up the personality of the soul, is often represented as a very small passerine bird with a head, a human head on it. In this case, it could very well be a Dr. Fate helmet, because that's what he's wearing. Now, this very image like this, the little bird with the Dr. Fate helmet, popped up an issue or two ago. But I don't know that it is meant to represent that here, as I assume that it was there. Right inside, we open up off the coast of Normandy, France, at Mont-Saint-Michel, a very famous uh, world UNESCO site, the circular, almost, island that has a little town and a uh, fortress, in this case a monastery, perched on top, accessible via a causeway out into the ocean, once upon a time when not a causeway, a roadway. Once upon a time when that roadway was not there, it was only approachable at times of low tide. I, I know a lot of you guys have seen pictures of this somewhere because it's a, it's a very famous uh, site for several different reasons and it's used a lot. But it, it, it looks like, a, when you see it from the ground, like a big circular disc off in the distance a little bit with this little town perched around it and then a, a big castle up at the top. And like I say, it's it's approachable only by this single road surface out into the surf. So Khalid, um, excuse me, Dr. Fate is here because he is on a mission to save the world. When his mom found out that the uh, monastery here at Mont-Saint-Michel was collapsing due to Anubis's recent weather uh, stuff, namely the flooding that he caused worldwide. She was uh, very distraught because of her own personal liking of the site. So Khalid thought, well, as Dr. Fate, I'll go and do something if I can. It's as good a place to start in saving the world as any other place, you know. So so he's here. Now he's flying um, kind of in an interesting style, <laughs> which brings to to mind a couple things. Um, one, the the interest about the style is that he's flying uh, laid out with his arms at his side, but radiating. Uh, radiating. I'm not sure if that's the correct word. Com- coming from his hands, though, uh, uh, each is surrounded by a nimbus of energy with a trail that he is leaving, as if the energy from his hands is propelling him through the air. Now, the other thought that this brings to mind is that that this is very different from the Golden Age, Dr. Fate, um, who I was just discussing with Ruth Sutherland on Facebook recently, whereby as he flies through the air, his means of propulsion is the scissoring of his legs back and forth as if he is running, 
You know, if he just took off running and then somebody just lifted him and his feet still kept going. I know you guys have seen that movie. That is how it's depicted in the Golden Age art that he is propelling himself. Now, uh, perhaps uh, I would think that aerodynamically it was determined that that just was not a very sound way to do it. And so the Lords of Order, uh, as they were, or perhaps more specifically Thoth, feels that this with more of a jet propulsion-y kind of uh, Messerschmitt, early Messerschmitt jet plane kind of thing is a better way, more aerodynamic, more streamlined to do. Uh, We'll never know exactly why, just that it was done that way in the Golden Age and it is being done this way in the uh, whatever, atomic current modern age, whatever you want to call this age. Which, actually, this age needs to be broken up, because I believe this age has been going on since 1986. That's a very long time to not have another age in there. So, you guys ponder that. The monastery is crumbling, having been damaged. Khalid decides that he is going to do something, but he gets caught in that no-man's land between thinking something up and action, kind of that... Uh, physical, mental dead space, and in the midst of that, some of the crumbling ruins fall, knocking Khalid to the ground. Uh, Kind of making him angry, it seems. But he decides that he will use natural energy, the energy of all the systems around him, to assist in his magics. Uh, Here, he's taking energy from the tides and the waves of the ocean here off uh, the coast of Mont Saint-Michel. And he's whipping them up into twin uh, geyser-like formations, twirling geysers. Uh, Very reminiscent to me of the air geysers that a red tornado can produce from his arms, actually. But they're made of liquid water. Uh, He uses those, Dr. Fate does, to gather the debris that has fallen, push it back up into place, like you would place pieces of a puzzle, back onto the wall, the top, the the portion of the monastery that he had seen fall, and then released the water. After having done so, uh, Dr. Fate flies up, and I, I like to think that he's kind of rubbing over, you know, applying that last magical cement on the wall to make sure that it sticks good or whatever. Uh, It's not necessarily depicted that way, but if not, I really can't think of any other reason why he's up here against the wall right after that. So that's what I imagine he's doing. And after all, you know, isn't that what comic books are? They're just a, a means of stretching the imagination. After he has done this, he his attention is diverted by someone calling his name. The person speaking is speaking in a regular bubble, um, text bubble, right? But Dr. Fate, whenever he speaks, is is that white inner text with a yellow uh, buffer around it, which I guess denotes either that he has the helmet on, and so his voice is kind of muffled, or that he is Dr. Fate. Uh, so he is being influenced, if not controlled, I don't know that Khalid is really controlled, by... Thoth-Nabu Consortium. So, could be a double whammy as far as why the text is drawn like that. Could be. I'm reading far too much into it. 
Either way, two different text bubbles makes it easy to keep up with in his guise's Dr. Fate. We know that. The person speaking to him is a female, and she perhaps is walking on water. Perhaps she is just walking in the water just slightly off the land, you know, where it's it's still kind of shallow. You don't really know. However, she is thanking this person. Uh, she doesn't know Khalid or Dr. Fate. or so, so I guess that means she is probably not a supernatural being. She is dressed in a white outfit, though, a white dress, a full-length dress, and she's holding a bubble containing an image, uh, the spirit of Nabu. So, I don't know if he has been communing with her. Perhaps Nabu gets lonely also. I don't know. But she's thanking Khalid from the um, Christian, my interpretation, from the Christian God for helping with the Christian edifice of the monastery. Restore it, protect it, you know, whatever he's doing. And uh, Nabu tells Khalid to um, accept her thanks in, in the way that it is given. And that is, regardless of what you believe or what you think, a higher being is saying thank you for helping that higher being, for helping that higher being's subjects. You know, however, the the point being, accept the compliments as they're given, and let's giddy up. So Khalid does. He jets away, and I mean literally jets, because there's furrow in the ocean where he takes off so fast. We then cut back to Brooklyn, where we see Shea. Uh, that's Khalid's girlfriend. Uh, yeah, I guess girlfriend. She is the non-traditional female influence in his life. She has been after him for uh, much time. We don't know exactly how much, but it, it has been a period of time for contact. And he has not called, messaged, spoken to her in person, nothing. So she's worried um, both personally, but also because of her knowledge of all the things that Khalid is uh, attempting to do in his life. She has no knowledge of his Dr. Fate persona, so that doesn't come into play as, as far as what's going on. So, once again, she's tried to contact him, but Puck jumps into her window. Now, not not Shakespearean Puck, um, but the black cat that is Khalid's pet, Puck, who actually is not a black cat, but is a uh, an avatar or the animalification um, or the animal personification, whatever the word would be, anthropomorphized aspect of Bastet. And she, Bastet, puts the whammy on Shea and puts her to sleep. Basically tells her, look, leave my boy alone. He's got stuff to do. Next, we cut to the 65th Street Pier in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, where Khalid is walking Oceanside with his father, Muhammad. Muhammad's on a cane. He seems to be doing relatively well since his recent injuries. But, and here, um, this is kind of a, a low point in the story for me personally. 
Khalid is uh, going through uh, some angst, uh, perhaps even some existential angst. He doesn't know which way to go in that he is being pulled in at least three different directions that we know of. Uh, Philosophically, okay, if not realistically, his mother is Methodist. Uh, It's a Christian sub-discipline, shall we call it? Uh, His father is Muslim. Khalid seems to be Muslim, but... And all the Egyptianness that is Dr. Fate and Thoth and Nabu. So, all of these are banging around in his head, all of these tenants, and maybe in large, large arcs between the three, there are very, very similar tenants. But when you get down to a personal level, the minutia, um, very frequently, I would imagine, there will be times that those three belief systems do not match up evenly at the same time. So, He's trying to resolve all this in his head. Uh, Of course, while he's doing all his other things as Khalid the son, Khalid the medical student, Khalid the boyfriend, uh, Dr. Fate, you know. So here we have the uh, late teenager, early 20-something whining. Um, And I'm not for that. Um, I got all of that that I needed from Stan Lee's Peter Parker way back in the day, for years and years and years, and I I really don't want Khalid to go there. Now, there's a lot of uh, potential points of friction in his character, you know, that he has to resolve, and that's that's fine. I, I understand that completely. But let's not get into some teeny, CW, angsty kind of thing about it. That That's not the place we want to go. Being pulled in multiple directions is cool. Handling it like an adult is cooler. You know, I, I dig people who put their big boy pants on, make a call, stick with it, and then bear the results of that decision. That's that's what being a, an adult is all about. Making a call, dealing with the consequences. And that's what I want Khalid to do. In the midst of their conversation, a... Uh, an elder, I guess, of a, 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 a Muslim elder. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what they're called. Um, I, I would call him a, a rabbi or a rabbi uh, if he was Jewish, but I, I, that I don't. A sheik, perhaps. I don't know if that's the appropriate term, but but he's he's dressed as a uh, an officiant of of the Muslim religion, so he must be from their mosque. He knows Khalid Muhammad, and he has overheard a portion or all of their conversation and interjects his uh, help for Khalid. But he brings up also the concept of angels being made from purest light and the jinn, D-J-I-N-N, from the smokeless fire uh, as good and, and not good, as it were, and that... Khalid needs to understand the differences. Uh, it's, in a way, it didn't really help the conversation, but I, I think I understood where the where the guy was coming from. Then the helmet of fate levitates 
Khalid puts it on and zips away, which to me means that this elder, this preacher, religious person, whatever he turns out to be, and Khalid's dad, Muhammad, are both aware that Dr. Fate and Khalid are one and the same. I, I wasn't aware that that was knowledge, uh, common knowledge, public knowledge, and anybody's knowledge. So uh, there is that. The issue that the helmet uh, has arisen for is that a nearby overpass has been eaten up and beat up by the recent Anubis floodwaters, much like uh, Mont Saint Michel, and it is crumbling. Khalid again attempts to um, muscle or magic muscle, you know, some kind of fix, and finds that 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 isn't really going to work too well. Uh, has to rescue somebody that is trapped in a vehicle that plummets from the road surface above. It's kind of like an uh, an overpass, kind of like an EL situation, only with a road, not train tracks. Khalid rescues him, goes back, decides that he is going to, once again, summon the energies of nature. And this time he pulls from, um, I don't know, the energies that are around here, all of them. Looks like he's pulling from vehicles, so perhaps the energy is as actual electrical energy coming from the batteries of the vehicles that he's using to supercharge his magics with. He then manhandles a, a portion of the overpass in such a way to stabilize it. And then jets away to see what else he can find that needs to be attended to. We cut to the United Nations where there is a protest going by uh, American Muslims and like-minded people concerning the appearance at a general assembly session of I take it it's a it's a a Muslim dignitary from another country or perhaps from Egypt uh, Akila the traditional female in Khalid's life is screaming, remember to hear square. Uh, I apologize, I meant to look that up and I didn't, so I don't know if that's a real thing or not. I, I don't know what that is. But the main issue is that this um, protest is starting to get out of hand. It's starting to juice up more and more in a negative way. And it seems to be stirred by someone, potentially, who is a part of the entourage of this uh, this other dignitary, this Muslim dignitary, I assume Muslim. In the start of the chaos, Akila is struck down by a horse and falls out of the picture, um, literally. Khalid is continuing to look around and finds another section of this overpass that needs to be repaired. By summoning the uh, ground beneath it, he uses <clears throat> excuse me both the energy inherent but also in the ground itself to lift up the ground in a mound such that it um reaches up to and and covers 
the gap in a section of the overpass. Now, not well enough that you can like still drive over it like you would if it was repaired, but just to keep anything else from falling off the off the edges onto the streets now, the streets below. And he takes off. Um, I think the big takeaway from this several-page scene is that there is a news chopper who was watching a, a, a being, uh, you know, there's no way to tell if it's male or female, a being of power, use the power in a way that is positive and beneficial to helping what is occurring rather than the opposite or doing nothing. And so that hopefully will be able to be linked with the helmet that he's wearing such that Dr. Fate is known to be out helping the people in this time of need. Our next scene is at Brooklyn College, which I assume is later on in the evening um, after he has uh, de-helmeted. You know, he's not on patrol anymore. He's speaking to one of his professors, Professor Bradus, who is a philosophy professor, still um, caught up in his angstiness, asking the professor from a philosophical point of view, you know, as a as a uh, instructor, a, a learner of philosophy, what would you suggest I do? And I think the professor's advice boils down to unto, unto whomever much is given, of him shall be much required, which I believe is a biblical passage is that from the bible babe yeah i think so uh but he doesn't quote it as such he just quotes it so khalid gets you know whatever from that that he gets he he leaves the professor and as uh, as he's out of earshot the professor bends down to his dog that he was walking and unhooks the leash and says should i have reassured him sheba told him he's being watched over <laughs> and Sheba says, nah. If he hasn't figured it out by now, he's too dense to listen. Uh, okay, I. so I guess Dr. Fate is just going to be rife with talking animals that are avatars of something. Um, and again, I must apologize. I intended to look up Sheba. I know that there is a meaning to it more than just a name. It's a, it's a historical name. Uh, S-H-E-B-A. Not S-H-I-V-A, which would be very interesting if she was watching over Khalid. But uh, Sheba. Like Bathsheba. Sheba is, uh, well, she's Hebrew. And it's just, it's, she's a queen. Okay, that's what I thought. She's a, she's a Hebrew queen. From the Bible. Uh, North African, if I recall. So apparently tangential to the Egyptian gods, but not of that pantheon, uh, someone else is apparently watching over Khalid. And that is where this issue finishes. Do want to send a shout out to Eric Lamont, who left a comment on the website for episode 58. He said, Lords of Order, the Dr. Fate podcast is on my short list of must-listen, quotes, podcasts. Always a pleasure to experience these early Golden Age gems of one of DC's most powerful and occasionally mishandled 
characters. Your enjoyment of the material is a type of magic of its own. Thank you, Eric. I try to keep it pretty light when talking about that Golden Age stuff, because it is it is very, <laughs> very different from modern sensibilities. And, you know, I try to keep that in mind without putting it down because it's, you know, so goofy or so... No, it, you know, it was as serious for those people that wrote it then as the books that we read are serious for the people that write them now. So it, it's really, really a disservice to take that lightly. Use it more, uh, in my mind, as a measuring stick of just how much things have changed and what is important and what, how to get to the audience that they're shooting for and things like that. That's what gets me about the Golden and Silver Age books. Uh, now, in the Bronze Age, I find it to be fairly similar in a lot of ways to the uh, audience that they're looking for now. Much more so than I think the Silver or Gold Age are. But thank you very much, Eric, for the comment. I appreciate it. Next time, guys, will be the current volume, Dr. Fate, issue 9, episode 64. Catch you later. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0, unported license.